All right, Sebastian and Voida, it's a pleasure to have you guys on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks a lot yeah. for, for having us. It's a Good pleasure. To be here. Yeah, it's cool to have you. So we had our first touch point a couple of months ago, and I think you guys um, have a pretty interesting vision for, for something uh, that you want to build in space. Um, and I think we should just start off by letting you guys introduce each other. So just give us a little bit of background about how how this idea came up, what you guys are working on right now, and, and, and what's the business model behind it. That's great. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll kickstart maybe introducing myself if that's okay, Voida. So my name is uh, Sebastian Asprella. Um, I'm the co-founder, co-CEO, uh, and COO, uh, and also the interim CFO of Think Orbital. Um, I'm originally from Argentina, and, and although I did uh, uh, electromechanics uh, when I was younger, I digressed and then went into psychology, then into business, um, and then since the mid 2000s, I've been working in the field of IT um, around executive. Also, lately, program management, but also in love, always in love with space. Um, since child, I think, like many of us, you know, looking up into the stars, wishing one day to be able to be up there, being an astronaut, etc. So I've always followed uh, progress from shuttle mission to the ISS, and uh, and, I, and I like electronics in general, I like robotics. And uh, I had the pleasure to meet Boita along the way, uh, and what I think is his breakthrough idea. And uh, I'll pass it over to him now. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm Vojta Halup, uh, and I'm originally from Prague, from Czech Republic, even though I now live in, on the west coast of the US in Portland. But when I was finishing my master's in math uh, in Czech Republic, I got the offer to go study an interesting field called steganography and steganalysis uh, in upstate New York uh, for my doctorate. So I did that, and it's a really interesting field, but it's in no way space-related. And continuing in this field uh, on the West Coast, I, you know, I caught the bug more and more. And one night I was thinking about how can we utilize the, the kind of new capability that Google from Blue Origin or the SpaceX Starship will be bringing. How is the industry moving you know, to, to handle potentially larger, cheaper payloads because it will cost less and less money to get into orbit? And I couldn't see anything. And as my brain continued to work, uh, I got the idea for... Kind of the question, wouldn't it be nice to have like a Lego-based space station? And of course, this is a very, uh, very wrong Sounds way of cool. looking at it. <laughs> but it got me thinking. And at some point, I came up with a kind of refined idea that's much more viable and continued refining it, started writing papers, going to conferences, talking to a lot of people uh, from the industry, from NASA. And nobody could tell me why this idea couldn't work. And to me, it seems like such an obvious solution. So I wanted to make it work. And at, at, at that point, uh, I met Sebastian uh, over the kind of community of Discord. And uh, we decided to start a company. And I believe that was in that was in middle of January. But kind so of not too long ago. Not too long ago. Uh, and since then, we'll be putting, we were putting a lot of hours into this. And the company is doing well and fast. And it's going faster than expected. Got it. So, so give us, or, or one of you can give us like a little bit of input about what you guys have been working on exactly like in the last six months and also more about like what you actually do, because I think it's like a Lego based space station sounds cool, but I don't think a lot of people can, uh, can imagine what, what it's about. Yeah. And I know it's, and I think it's super interesting. So that's why we're here today. Yeah. So Sebastian, I'll describe a bit of the uh, technical solution yeah. that we are yeah. trying to make, and then we can go into what we have been up to. So, 
what what the problem today is like if you want to put up a uh, human rated space station into orbit what has been done until now you you build a big cylinder that can fit into the rocket's payload fairing you launch it up uh, and then potentially you have a cylinder there or uh, it connects with other cylinders and you create a space station similar to the iss but this way you can never create a larger space than whatever fits into the rocket and um, if you look at ISS today, all the all the modules and there's multiple of them uh, have like 4.4 meter diameter. And why is that? Well, because that's uh, the cargo diameter of the space shuttle. So it's limited by that. And for me, like humanity cannot expand into space, cannot even expand to Earth orbit uh, without having the capability to create something bigger than that. Uh, without how how do you accommodate? 20 people, how to accommodate 100 people. Uh, so the question then becomes, okay, we need to build larger spaces. How do you do that? You still have to launch it in a rocket. So how and, big are current space stations, just to get like context? So um, ISS with its, uh, I don't know how many modules, uh, I think between around eight, has a little bit over 900 cubic meters. So I think that's roughly three bedroom house. Uh, something okay, like yeah, that. got it. Um, and okay, what, what do you do when, when you want to put more people there? Well, one of the solutions that we are trying to develop is we want to be able to still, we have to launch it in a rocket, it has to fit into the payload fairing, but uh, create the, the pressure vessel itself in such a way that it can be assembled in orbit into something much bigger. So you figure out how to do the orbital assembly, you figure out how to, what, what's the right shape and geometry of uh, the way it's launched and then how it's assembled. And uh, that way you can create with a single launch something that's two to four times larger than space station uh, than the International Space Station in a single launch of Starship. So that's kind of the main benefit that with a single launch, you can put a lot of space there. So that becomes cost efficient. And it's just the beginning. Theoretically, nothing stops you from building much bigger things and getting closer to our dream of you know, O'Neill cylinders and uh, kind of having thousands of people in low Earth, low Earth orbit. And that's my personal goal and vision I want to have uh, kind of share with Jeff Bezos there uh, to share the to have people working and living in space to, for it to become normal. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's cool. If I may compliment with Boyd, I said we, we have a dream um, also to be able to go up in space, um, like like many other people. And um, you know what we see currently is that. Um, to go up there, it's it's you know it's a very it's a very um, hefty price tag. I mean, it's about fifty-five to seventy million dollars. Um, not many people have that disposable income. And what we want to do is to try and bring it down, um, you know, by by I mean about a hundredfold if possible. Um, and this would be heavily dependent on the development on launch capability technologies that are bringing the cost down. Also, the increase in supply of uh, launch service. I mean, we see that the launch overall is, is declining over time. We also see the likes of Elon Musk with Starship that they want to produce them at scale. They want to be producing Starship every three days. That makes it about a thousand in a decade. So, you know, when it comes to economy between supply and demand, if there is more supply uh, or at least it balances demand, then the cost will continue to decline. And ultimately, you know, what happens in a situation where you have this type of launch capability, will reduce cost, more people, more payload to put into space. 
but we you don't have the technologies to be able to scale up infrastructure in space. And that's what we've seen so far. I mean, we love the ISS. We love the International Space Station. You know, it's, it's an amazing um, feat of human engineering. However, as it stands now, it's not sufficiently scalable. It's very costly. It costs NASA around $3 billion a year to be able just to keep it in orbit, uh, roughly. Holy shit, uh, up, that's a lot of money. That's a, that's a lot or of money. A three-bedroom house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it is it is costly. It is you know high-end technology, um, but as any other technology, as it ages, then you know the cost of maintenance increases, the risk increases as well. Um, I believe that uh, NASA and the different parties that are part of the ISS wanted to decommission it originally in 2024. Now that it's been pushed back to 2028, 2030, so you can imagine, you know, only NASA three billion dollars a year and then if you have a growing economy in space and you can and the iss is not versatile enough then there will be alternatives that will have to come online and that's that's where we want to come in uh, with think orbiter we really want to be um, a commercial space space station provider you know somebody that is out there in case there is you know people who want to be private space explorers i want to experience being in space similarly to perhaps a cruise ship but something that orbits around earth primarily then there may be other possibilities going forward and we have three pillars um, that support our solution one um, like Boita was saying to be able to assemble in orbit uh, two to be adaptable um, so be able to satisfy different use cases um, uh, it could be like I said a, a private space cruise ship it could also be research it could also be manufacturing. There are products that are better manufactured in space for Earth, but also some products that we may want to manufacture in space for in space. And then the third thing is to be cost effective, to be able to produce the Orb 2 at scale, similarly to what Elon is doing now with Starship. Whenever you produce something at scale, you really you refine your processes, you know, the, mani- the the products are used to manufacture to the point where um, you know you're able to um, bring the cost down. So these three pillars. They actually focus, if you think about it, the assembly process is the technology. Uh, how feasible is it? So we're likely to be able to do a proof of concept soon. We hope we can do that. Then the second thing with adaptability is to open up the market. So the bigger the market, it is the more customers you're likely to have. And then the third thing about mass produce is about profits. So you're looking at is it, is it the three pillars um, actually would support um the the company the, the concern of think orbital going forward um we're looking at also um repaying the trust from potential investors and really to be able to provide the best customer experience that we can either directly to end users or to businesses as well i think got i'll it. pause there for a moment yeah no no got it Thank, thanks for for the input so what i would be interested in now we can go more into into that later when you guys started out like six seven months ago i think january this year 2021 was it yeah uh, i mean what were what were the things that you guys did when you started out and what have you yeah. done in the last six months so I, yeah. I just want to say before that oh, like uh the concept has been developed for the last three years roughly but uh in, in january kind of switched the trigger okay. and, and started going okay let, let's do this let's let's push this idea and make it into a company got it yeah yeah i'm more so in march which is when i got also approval because i mean it's fair to say we're self-funded and we both have a job and this is done currently in our spare time like everyone else in the team we have a fantastic team as well which i, I like to touch base a little bit more um so we we whilst we incorporated in january 
we really kickstarted around March, I think. And it's incredible how fast things are going. Um, in one hand, to be able to meet so many incredible, very inspiring people, we had about 75 uh, domain expert calls. Um, along the way we became a team of currently uh, 19 people all working in our spare time with very diverse backgrounds um so in terms of, of your question uh, thomas so the, the first thing was you know understanding the legal framework where to incorporate i mean both i had done amazing um, homework in that respect so we decided to incorporate in the us um, as a c corp uh, which generally is quite favorable when it comes to technology startups and then going forward, then we had the uh, the usual discussion between co-founders in terms of how to set up the um, the uh, the market, uh, so the uh, the cap table, so in distribution of shares when it came not just to ourselves uh, but also to a pool of staff and pool of investors. Um, and we went through the typical route. I mean, for those that are not um, perhaps versed with this, normally you go through a vesting period. Um, you know, with a cliff at the beginning and so on and so forth when it comes to distribution of shares. And um, and then we started to understand, so how can we make it for, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then you, you from there, you start to think about, okay, the solution that both I had thought about, how to reach market, what are the dis different, what are the business models that may be able to get to market, get to revenue faster as well? What are the uh, technology uh, constraints or challenges that we may face? And really, how do we get uh, people interested in what we're trying to do? Clearly, you know, if there is a phrase that we, we really like that um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together or go as a team. Um, and I think that's one of the uh, the motives that we have here at Think Orbital. Yeah, yeah, and in my mind, uh, so I did a lot of work uh, doing the engineering, uh, making sure that the idea is still viable from technical perspective, doing a lot of CAD visualizations and things like that. But at that point, it's still an idea. And a lot of people have brilliant ideas, but ideas are kind of uh, cheap in the sense that until you start executing on them, uh, they're, they're not worth anything. So... What we are trying to do here is extremely ambitious. Let's be frank about it. Uh, something that will require eventually hundreds of millions of dollars to, to get off the ground. So the bigger challenge than just saying, here's an idea, here's a here's cat drawings and by my math, everything works out. Uh, the bigger challenge is how do you get to the stage where, you know, step-by-step step designing, uh, kind of figuring out what are the individual uh, timelines and what, what, what are the individual steps where you can get uh, additional funding and all that stuff to get into where you want to be. And that's kind of the challenging part, making a viable business, showing progress, showing uh, development. And that's a lot of what we were doing in the last six months. Um, and that's a process that never stops, right? You always want to go bigger, sh show new capability, raise more money. And at the end, hopefully you will end up with a factory that can uh, build tens of these every, uh, every year and uh, help to, to expand humanity into space. Yeah, got it. But and, <clears throat> so, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to. Add. So, so, so part of what we were doing until now uh, was uh, building subscale prototype with the engineering uh, team, uh, which is kind of so. Since this is, this is podcast, we cannot show visuals, but uh, the space station itself, uh, pretty much the geometry of it is like a soccer ball, uh, where you have the individual hexagons and pentagons. Uh, 
that can be packed into the payload fairing and then assembled in space into a sphere. And the sphere is uh, kind of the best shape for space station for multiple reasons in physics from uh, you know having the smallest surface per volume, but best protection against, mic against micrometeorites and orbital debris. Uh, so we are trying to build a two meter version, two meter diameter version of this, something that uh, we can show we can build the robotic arms, uh, something that we, we can show uh, the self-assembly on Earth, uh, and mo most importantly, to build up the engineering team, the processes, and show potential investors that uh, we are a company that can build physical stuff, that we are not just a PowerPoint presentation, which to me is very, very important. <laughs> Got it. So, so, where, so where do you guys stand right now? Are you in the process of raising your first round? Like, what, what are you guys like working on right now? Or what's the yeah, focus so right now? This is an interesting one, if I may, Wojta, but please compliment. Yeah. So um, we feel we're a very early stage startup. Like any startup, it's high risk, especially in the space um, industry, it's even higher risk. And what we're trying to do is even higher risk. So what we had in mind with Wojta was um, to really continue to mature um, the organization, continue to build a team. And somewhere um, along the road, but certainly not now, we need to start to actively look for investors. Um, what happened is uh, perhaps through some of our communication or word of mouth or maybe some of the people that we spoke to, uh, one investor became interested in what we're doing and we've been having uh, conversations with them for about a month now. Um, they're, they're really great bunch of guys. We would have not perhaps started the conversations at this stage if we didn't feel there was chemistry. They know what they're talking about. They had been investing um, in space earlier as well. Uh, because ultimately what we're looking with Boita, it's not necessarily... You want to drop a name or you're not allowed to? No, not at this stage. I think it's a little bit early. Uh, we would like to confirm with them if we're if, if it's okay for us to share their name. Um, but we will hopefully have some, some news pretty soon. Um, but what we wanted with Boita was, um, you know, to team up a partner uh, who could, you know, together grow, uh, think orbital in, in, you know, into achieving our dreams rather than the capital right now. Um, and we believe that we were lucky enough to have a come across uh, the, the right investor for, for what we want to do at this stage. I don't know, Boyd, if you want to compliment. Um, I just want to add that, yeah, the investment is is critical. Like the, the sooner we, it's a fuel, as, as much as people hate to talk about money, without money, there is no company. You cannot hire people, you cannot, uh, there is no replacement for a bunch of people, men, women, uh, working in the same space and, and building stuff. Uh, and for that, you have to be able to employ them. Uh, for that, you need to have investment and, and money. So to speed up our development, uh, definitely having an early investment will help, up, help us tremendously. And uh, yeah, so, and so far we have been very lucky. So let's see how this goes on. Yeah, and it, I think it's fair to say that um... I think for us, what's important, indeed, you know, money is fuel. This could accelerate our plan. In fact, we had a, a roadmap from now to 2028, and there is an interest uh, from the investor and ourselves to be able to accelerate that. Uh, but it's important, perhaps, for other, um, you know, people thinking about getting their startup going, uh, not not to get funding at any cost. I think it's important to get the right partner. Um, you, do, you don't want to team up. You don't want to have somebody in the cap table that uh, may not have an interest or may not be willing to put the effort to be able to grow the uh, the startup alongside the co-founders and the team. Yeah, got it. And I think that's that's a really good point. But you just said you you guys have a plan to 2028. 
would like to touch base on that. Like you, you started or you, the company was founded like a half a year ago. Uh, where do you guys want to be in 10 years? What's, what's the roadmap? Like when you guys want to launch, if, if everything goes well, when you guys want to have the first station in space, in space, give us, give us some input on that. I can start with that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So, um, our current roadmap would have us having a fully functional uh, Orb 2, or the first one would be called Spaceball 1, um, uh, in orbit by, by the end of 2028. Now, like any other plan, um, it's subject to changes. Um, and um, the, the, the reason why we build this as well is to have a target to aim for. And the way the roadmap builds upon itself, and we have a list of objectives from now to Q2 2022, but that we can touch base, uh, Thomas, if it's okay, a little bit uh, later down the podcast. But so far, like Boito was saying, we've been working on a subskill prototype. Um, it's a two meter diameter. I'm not going to go into details right now, as it was mentioned earlier. And in parallel to that, we want to give our engineering team, our architects, also our stakeholders, slightly more immersive experience. You see the, the great video render. Uh, maybe on our website. I mean, for those that have not seen it, we can maybe share our website as well. Um, that Boita put together, which shows the assembly process in space and the commissioning of the uh, space station. And uh, what we want to do is to give slightly more immersive, maybe a 3D experience or virtual reality experience. And for that reason, we have uh, team up with a company who has been doing this, but for the nuclear industry, they want to jump and pivot into space now. Um, so we just recently signed an MOU with them, so we are collaborating in that respect. Um, and at the same time, should we be successful uh, with the investor and the first seed round, then we will be moving at speed with regards to technology proof of concept for both the robotic arm and the electron beam welding technology. Um, and what that means in practice is, well, there are two mature technologies. There may be some development and customization specifically to what we require, um, but we also want to test them complementarily. So basically the two technologies together. And again, it may make a lot more sense once the, uh, the, 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 the uh, audience uh, has a look at the video render. And should that be successful, we want to go into orbit. We want to take the proof of concept into orbit. Um, and, and the idea of all of this proof of concept um, it's not just to prove that the technology works, but also to be able to gain experience, continue to build a team, build a company, and uh, the processes in which we operate, gather as much data as we can. You know, data is gold when it comes to also to the testing phase, to perhaps redesigning things, especially when you're going to be doing some of the um, prototyping um, uh, of at subscale level, or even when you want to do some testing, uh, virtual testing. Um, and should that be successful and go into subsequent rounds, then we would look at setting up a production facility to be able to manufacture full-scale prototypes. So basically, it's the space station at full scale. Maybe it would not have all the functionalities, may not be human-rated, but we're looking at building one or two of these and similarly test them to the max, get all the data that we can. So then we will go to the last stage of our roadmap where we want to set up a full large-scale production, a manufacturing line, and start, you know, sort of churning out Orb 2s at the end of the conveyor belt, if you put it graphically, um, that we have as much data as we can, so we can, you know, have the process re uh, refined, as I mentioned earlier, and um, we have a high cadence uh, production facility. And uh, hearing Sebastian talking, I just, I feel like it might be a good time to add a little bit more detail on the engineering and what is the actual technology that, uh, kind of the breakthrough, breakthrough that we are trying to develop. Um, 
and the, one of the big, biggest breakthroughs is that there is no breakthrough uh, because what we are trying to build would have been possible 20 years ago. Uh, it's just combining something that exists into a whole new capability that opens up the space, literally. And this, so I mentioned previously orbital assembly. Uh, how we want to do that is no magic. We just want to utilize the existing technology of uh, robotic arm manipulators. Like think of if, if you know how a Canada arm on International Space Station looks like, something like that, but something that can be somewhat simpler than Canada arm. Uh, so that's one piece of the puzzle, a uh, long arm that can move things around. Uh, the second piece of a puzzle is a welding technology. So we want to build up the pressure vessels. We want to, uh, the pressure vessel, put it in pieces into payload fairing and assemble it in orbit. Uh, that means that the arm kind of can move the pieces around, but we also need to make them strong eventually because the pressure has a lot of forces on, onto the sidewalls uh, and we need to make it airtight. And that's where the welding technology comes in. And while a lot of, lot of methods of welding would not work in vacuum, uh, there is a method called electron beam welding, which, um, it's used on Earth. It was developed in 1960s. Uh, for example, like the F-14 fighter jet wings were welded to this fuselage using uh, this technology in 1960s or 70s. Uh, and it is one big disadvantage for Earth. Uh, and actually two, two disadvantages. Otherwise, it's the best welding method ever developed uh, with the highest strength. Uh, the two disadvantages is it requires high vacuum to work in, which is makes it horrible for Earth because you need uh, vacuum chambers for welding, uh, but it makes it perfect for space. And the second disadvantage is that welding emits X-rays. So if you have higher power, it makes it a little bit dangerous to the astronauts. Um, this technology was tested uh, by Russia and Soviet Union in 80s and 90s in, form, in a form of small guns that were operated by astronauts, but the power was limited because of the X-rays. But the tests were successful. And in, in this way, we are trying to kind of take this welding technology, put it on the robotic arm and create a system that would allow us to move segments around of the pressure vessel, but also when they are aligned properly, just to weld them with the same robotic arm. And that's yeah. kind of the, the, the core of the technology that we are trying to develop. And once we have that, uh, we are certain that we can, you know, kind of revolutionize the way the space stations are built in space. So if, if, if it's nothing new in, in that way, why hasn't done, or why do you guys believe that no one has done it before or, or whether people trying to do it or is it literally you guys the first ones to try it that's the question i ask myself every day uh yeah. and if someone tried it we wouldn't be here <laughs> <laughs> uh i think generally there is no look at spacex right rockets have been around for a long time it was fairly mature technology but uh Sometimes the company are, companies are so entrenched in the way the things are done, so risk averse to try something new that they don't do it. Uh, so probably in a similar way, our goal is to develop ourselves uh, into a proper company that uh, is, is ahead of everyone else because, uh, sorry, before other companies uh, see the potential and get into the space as well. Yeah, and I believe there are many companies out there that probably have thought about maybe not exactly this, but something which becomes some form of generation two or generation three type of space station. And um, and there are companies out there that we, we really look up to. I mean, as I said, the ISS, I mean, I love the ISS. Um, and there are some companies that are effectively taking out the, um, the rule book of the ISS and basically upgrading it with latest technology and hardware. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it is challenge. It's a very challenging environment, and I think it's a, it's um, uh, it's a balance between utilizing as much tried and tested, somewhat fail-safe technology, and still advancing going forwards. Uh, what you know, what the likes of SpaceX have done is really revolutionary. They took a lot of risk. I mean, for those that have maybe uh, you know watched Elon Musk and his team progress through quite a lot of failures and being on the verge of bankruptcy at least once, um, it, it is it is quite risky. And I both like what they're saying, especially for maybe more established organizations, they probably have the capital um, to maybe develop new technologies, but they. Uh, understand the risks involved with it, so they probably want to take a slightly s slower pace. And I think that's where we come in. We're, you know, we're small enough that we can still be nimble, we can pivot, and we can focus perhaps on the Gen 2, Gen 3, the things that are a little bit up there uh, or down the, the the roadmap for some of these big players. Yeah. No, like, thank thank you so much, guys. I think it's, it's great what you guys are working on. I, I love the story. Um, and I really can't wait to see <clears throat> where you guys are in, in 10 years. So we're really looking looking forward to seeing that. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Thomas, for having us. Thank you, Thomas.